This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here at this GYC to encounter Jesus. We pray that your spirit would be present with us as we explore your will for us in the area of our media use. And we do ask that you please help us to set aside our preferences and opinions and our likes and what we want. And we just want to pray individually and collectively right now, thy will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, welcome to the media mind, reclaiming the human soul in the digital dark age. The first thing I want to say is this is not media on the brain. Some of you are familiar with the previous seminar on media, which is still very relevant. And I will actually do a little bit of review of media on the brain this afternoon in the after the lunch session. So stick around for that. If you haven't heard it, or even if you have and you want a refresher on it. But this Media Mind seminar, brand new just this year, and I'm going to give you highlights of it. I'm going to give you bits and pieces of it as we go forward. But also, what I want to emphasize right out of the gates is every time I have the privilege of speaking on media, I always want to remind all of us, myself and all of us, that Jesus is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Are you familiar with that text in the book of Acts? And so this really isn't a seminar about media because everything is a discussion about Jesus and our relationship with him. So the question is, how is media impacting our relationship with Jesus? How is media impacting our, our, our being human? This session, of course, is called How to Be Human Again. Are you aware of Genesis 1:27, where it says, and God created us in his, what? What's the next word? In his image. So he has a design, he has an intention, he has designed protocols for how we were intended to be human in his image, with all of the relationships that that means, with the physical, three-dimensional, non-virtual world in which he placed us in the garden. Now, of course, we've been marred by sin and 6,000 years of the degradation of the human race, but we can recover and recapture that in initial design of God, that's what redemption is. It is the restoring of the image of God in man, morally, spiritually, socially, everythingly. That's not a word. I just created a new adverb for you there, everythingly. Anyway, here we go. How to be human again. I told you last night I would reveal what year the first modern media device was invented. What was the first electronic media device ever invented in the history of humankind? You're thinking back, electronic media? Uh, would that be the, the, the computer? No, go back further. The television? No, go back further. The silver screen, the radio, the phonograph, go back further. I gave you the hint that it has to do with prophecy. Do you remember that hint last night, those of you who were there? It is the telegraph, and the year was 1844. Now let that sink in, the significance of that prophetically. God is launching a movement, 1844, the three angels' messages, to go global. To go where? All the way around the world. Do you think media can be used as a tool in the almighty hands of God? That goes without saying. And so we could talk quite a bit, and you could go on and on and on. You could do full seminars, actually, on strategic ways to use media to reach people, and that is awesome. I pat people on the back who are doing that. I'm not that good at that, frankly. I mean, I, yeah, I put out media. We do videos and on satellite media, and I love that this is being recorded, and it's going to be posted to the audience 
audios. So I'm a big fan of media use. But quite honestly, when I've done media on the brain seminars for the past seven years and having spoken with many, many, many people on our struggles with media, I, I rarely have people come to me and say, Brother Ritzema, I'm just really struggling with my media use. I feel convicted I need to use more of it. I never hear that from people. It's usually we're using too much and the wrong kinds and all kinds of problems with our media use. So my messages today will be helping us to find that balance, helping us to seek the Lord's will in our personal media use. But I don't want to neglect the fact that 1844 was the launch of this great movement in a way, right? With, the, with Daniel 8:14 pointing to that exact year as the time that the heavenly day of atonement or sanctuary cleansing would begin. So here we are. We can use media in a positive way, and that goes without saying. It goes without saying, but we'll say it anyway, right? I mean, you can get on your Google search engine right now, and if you type in the word Sabbath, do you know what you get? Type in the word Sabbath sometime, and after Wikipedia and the dictionary definition, the top link, last time I checked, was an Amazing Facts website. It was sabbathtruth.com. And I'm, I'm going, this is awesome, right, that we can utilize these tools. But between 2012, when I started speaking on media, and 2016, where I felt like, okay, I've got to do more on this information, just those four years' time, the percentage of our country that did five hours or more of screen time per day doubled. A 100% increase, a doubling in the proportion of our society that does five hours or more of screen. That's an awful lot, right? We'll get into some more of the numbers, but let's fast forward to 2018. How about just recently? How many minutes of media per day were people consuming in 2018, just a couple of years ago? You ready for the number? 666 minutes of media per day, which is a prophetically ominous number from Revelation 13. This is not a fulfillment of prophecy, of course, but it's also a very large number, isn't it? I mean, that's a lot of media we're consuming per day, which is going to take its toll in many ways. Let's start with physiological effects. When you're in this position on the phone, you assume the position called the eye hunch, typically at a 45-degree angle, which produces 49 pounds of pressure on on the upper spine there, which is going to take its toll in a major way on us. One thing that I found very interesting was the Washington Post reported horns are growing on young people's skulls. Phone uses to blame. What is that? Well, you can see the image, the little bony protrusion. They call that an occipital external protrusion, a little growth that's forming because of a new posture we've assumed for so many hours of our day. And of course, we want to bow our heads in prayer. It's not evil to move your head forward, but when we're spending hours and hours and hours in that position, we are literally reshaping the, 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 the skeletal structure of the human form. I've heard chiropractors and child development people talking about young people and young adults who have a permanent forward head posture. And I thought, wow, so the evolutionists who promote the idea that we came down from down here, the false notion that we evolved, they're going to have to update their chart and have the people coming back down again is the new human posture. It gives new meaning to how to be human again, right? We're, I guess, de-evolving in a way. By the way, I do have these notebooks. I want to pass, hand those out for you guys to pass those around if you want to sign in with an email address. 
and get updates on our newsletter. But here you go. A study reveals that a large portion of the population is not able to breathe properly. Did you know that when you're hunched over, whether it's on your phone or slouched in your chair watching TV or whatever the position is, whatever the, the context is, you're not breathing properly because you're not upright and the lungs can't, can't fill with air as well because you're hunched over. And the digestive organs also are crunched down, so it produces less dust quality health across the board. But I'll tell you something, from child guidance, and this is not just children, it's all of us, among the first things to be aimed at should be a correct position both in sitting and in standing. God made man upright, didn't he? That's Garden of Eden. God made us in his image, standing upright, not the evolution thing. This is God's uh, design of our physical frame. And he desires us to possess not only the physical, but the mental and moral benefit. The grace and dignity and self-possession, the courage and self-reliance which an erect bearing so greatly tends to promote. Let the teacher give instruction on this point by example and by precept. I guess that's what I'm doing right now, giving instruction as the teacher. I have a teaching background, actually. That's where I got into ministry was from the teaching background and then seeing this issue in my students. I'll talk about that more this afternoon. But um, by example and precept, I got to do it by example. I've seen video of myself and I get excited about what I'm teaching. I'm leaning on the podium. I'm coming forward toward the people like this and like, Scott, you're doing it. Like, stand up straight there. So uh, show what a correct position is and insist that it shall be maintained. I will, no, I will not insist on you today. But if studies show that having a slouched position makes us have more feelings of depressed feelings and fearful thoughts and feelings, doesn't that sound a little bit like this quote we just heard about courage and the moral benefit and that an erect bearing brings? Standing up straight boosts mood boosts confidence in studies, just like the quote just told us. And that's not in our own, like, look at me, I'm so great. No. What does the scripture say? It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who liveth in me. And that fills us with immense humility and then immense confidence simultaneously knowing that the divine creator, the God of heaven, has come into me as the temple of God. And then knowing the health message, if I do these things right, I can have that confidence that the studies have found. They've also found that slouching produces more negative words that we speak. Straight up stance, more positive outlook, more positive words. Slouching in academic settings, you're less productive at academic tasks. Sitting up straight in academic settings, you're more productive at academic tasks. Those are just a few of the things about posture, but also the arthritis time bomb warning for under 40s. Doctors say texting and gaming could wear out your joints. Under 40s, people in their 30s already experiencing these, these what we would perceive as elderly types of, of um, ailments. That surprised me to hear about that. Speaking of hearing, evidence of hearing damage in teens prompts researchers' warning. This one talks about how it's common after listening to loud music. You get the earbuds, you get the speakers. I used to be in the constant pursuit of the most loud, exciting music when I played in a rock band in my teens and all of that. And this says it's common to have a ringing in the ears. But testing showed that 28% of teens in the participants of this study already developed persistent tinnitus and ear condition. That really alarmed me to see that it was 28%, a full one quarter over a quarter 
And then when I learned about cell phone related injuries, did you know there was such a thing? Cell phone related injuries are up 84%, we've been told in the news media. And I thought, okay, what is a cell phone related injury? Well, a lot of people admit in surveys that they've literally walked into something or somebody while walking around on their phone. Or you're laying in bed and you have it above your face and you drop it and it chips a tooth or something of that nature. Then people literally die. There was a guy who walked off a cliff in San Diego in 2015 on Christmas Day and actually literally died. Now, this isn't, don't take this wrong because sharks don't kill that many people, shark attacks. But cell phones, selfies are now killing more people than shark attacks. So it's not like thousands and thousands of people, but you have enough people like I'm on the edge of the cliff here at, you know, Machu Picchu or wherever it is. And you're taking the selfie and people are falling. It's okay. Minor point, but major point for those people who have had that occasion, even, it's a, even though it's a rare occasion. Smartphones are killing Americans, but nobody's counting. 50% increase in people who are tapping on their phones while driving. 57% increase in four-year time period. Huge rise in this one. Whoa. Pedestrian deaths? A big cause for concern? So are you telling me, Scott, that people are literally on their phone and walking into oncoming traffic? Well, yes, that's exactly what's happening. You're walking down the sidewalk, walk into the street, and there's pedestrian traffic incidents and pedestrian deaths occurring. And I never thought I'd hear the day of the day where, where municipal governmental officials are saying, okay, we've had so many traffic incidents from pedestrians on their phones. We need to reorient the traffic signals. Instead of having stop and go for the pedestrians be up high up at eye level where we used to live uh, let's move the traffic signals down to curb level and they've got this in many cities now they actually did it the green and the red stri- green and the uh, red strips there on the ground for stop and for go I sometimes feel like I'm living in, a, in the future now, and it's a crazy world. This is a light uh, a pad on the light posts at, in Austria, in Salzburg, for people who might walk into that and break their nose. Feds spend 172000 to fight distracted pedestrians via phone alerts. What this, this was a federal government-funded uh, uh, grant to try to get alerts, figure out how to get alerts on people's phone like right before they reach the curb so that my phone will tell me, hey, there's a bus that's going to be coming at 45 miles an hour. You might want to stop walking. How to be human again. We need some help in this age, don't we? And then it's also in the, in the social realm, not just injuries, but as we're thinking about people being totally checked out here, somebody showed me this after one of my seminars. He was a, a, a guy that works cutting, cutting men's hair, barber, and he said what they're promoting now is this cape right here. Instead of having the conversation like these ladies are, maybe some small talk. How about we live a life of mission where we're aware of those around us, maybe sensitive to the needs of others, showing interest in others, wanting to win souls, the very reason we live and move in this day in the last days, right? That's a, that's a major point. They said this cape is going to be the new thing at the, at the haircut place. For those listening on audio, it's a transparent medium in the cape, so you can have your hands under the, 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 the cape that you wear at the, at, the, at the barber or the hairstylist, and you can see through it to be on your phone the whole time you're there. Speaking of checked out, I'll narrate this guy walking down the street, manhole straight in front of him, he walks right through the ribbons and falls down into it. Are you kidding me? This is 
yeah, this could be a serious injury right there, right? Like, we might laugh at 21st century humanity and the ridiculous nature. Like, I think in my description I have, this would be hilarious if it wasn't so tragic and sad that the media mind is checked out, right? I mean, here we are, totally oblivious to what's going on around us. But I want to today contrast the media mind with the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And there's a wonderful song about it as well. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. Do you know the song? How about we contrast these two? The media mind is checked out. The mind of Christ is fully engaged. It's time to learn to be human again. I'm talking about in social life, in family life, in our physiological things, time spent in nature, time spent in God's word, in revelation found in, in, in the first and the second book that God has given to us in nature and in revelation, in our labor, in our study, in our recreation, time to learn to be human again, in our outreach efforts, an evangelistic mission that we are on, in our, in our rest, in our academic pursuits, in our artistic outlets, in music, and yes, in the technological and the media arts that we are blessed to utilize in this whole vast tapestry of what it means to be made in God's image, servants of God, it is time to rediscover what does it mean to be human and made in God's image. And as we behold Christ, as we behold Jesus, that is the ultimate aim, that we will become transformed into the same image from glory to glory, transformed and renewed of our minds. Now, the reality is right now, we touch, tap, and swipe our devices 2,617 times per day on average. 2,600, that's a lot. 2,617 times per day times 365 days. Do you know what that would add up to? Almost a million times per year that we are touching, tapping, and swiping our devices. And I'm wondering, I don't have any data on this. I have a lot of facts and info, but I don't have the data on how many times we are touching Let's say combined, our, our pets, our family members, wood and nails, soil and plants, real things in the three-dimensional, non-virtual, actual world God has placed us in. I'll bet it's not a million times per year of those things. And we've also been told that we are the most socially connected generation in history. This is the pitch that the social media giants have made. We're making the world connected, come closer together. The most socially connected generation in history. Now you notice I put quotes around socially connected. Why would I do that? Well, come to the next session called Anti-Social Media and Digital Pharmacia and you'll hear more, but I gotta give you this tidbit right now. There is now such a thing as the cuddling with strangers craze. This is real. It's not, this is not made up. There are apps that people go and find, hookups in their area to find people simply merely to cuddle with, or, or you've got um, cuddle parties that are going on, or cafes, permanent cafes. It's the cuddling cafe. Let's meet up at the cuddling cafe. What? This exists? And professional cuddlers who hire out their services to cuddle with strangers. Cuddling with strangers is a thing because this generation is so desperately lonely. But if you're a little weirded out by cuddling with strangers, you could always get the chair that will hug you back. Yes, that's completely normal, right? A chair that hugs you back. The, the advertising for this, the inventor is like, it'll make you feel like you're being loved by your mother or by a 
friend or whatever. Listen, the former Surgeon General of the United States of America sounded the alarm on what he called the loneliness epidemic. Epidemic proportions of loneliness. The most socially connected generation in history has become the most lonely generation in history. And by the way, the more online-only friends you have in studies, the more lonely you are. So the more in-person contact, obviously, reduces. And that's God's design, not for the media mind to be lonely, but the mind of Christ is fulfilled, socially connected. Here you are at GYC, in-person That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with listening to these later if people couldn't make it or whatever. But getting together and coming to the GYC and getting together and going to the church, having Bible studies, friends, family, outreach, uh, you know, ministering to people, all of that is God's design. And yes, the technological in its place, but not solely the digital versions of social. We have to put big quotes around that, especially because when the University of Pennsylvania did a study on loneliness of young adults, they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to chart their loneliness scores before and after a week of only 30 minutes of social media per day. And that's not a lot compared to what most people are doing. We're going to reduce social media time to 30 minutes per day and see what happens. Loneliness scores dropped significantly in one week of reducing social media time. Denmark study eliminated it. They said zero social media for a week. Loneliness went down 36%. Wow. So God's methods, God's design for real social do work better. More on anti-social media in the next session. But today, teens now consume nine hours of entertainment media per day. This chart shows 2014 versus 2018, a near doubling in the percentage of teens that admit I'm almost constantly on my device. We are now to the point where just about half of teens admit I'm almost constantly on my device, which made this statement from a news article completely absurd. CNN article made the claim, by the numbers, kids are not spending more time with screens than they were in the 80s. Like, did you hear the uh, the break sound and the record skip for a second there? Uh, no. The 80s, some of you know the 80s as historians. Some of you know the 80s as having lived it. You're like, no way. You want the data on it? 1980s, 3.5 hours per day for the average kid of media time, the average teen. That's a lot, but by 2007, it had risen to five hours per day. And what did I just tell you on the previous slide? By 2016, it was nine hours a day. That's almost tripling since the 80s, almost a tripling of media use time, almost a doubling just in 10 years time period with the advent of the smartphones and uh, social media and all of that. So that's the data, for, if you want the source on that, at San Diego State University, a study by Twenge, Martin, and Spitzberg. 3.5 hours, five hours, nine hours. The media mind is just deceivable. People read that and they go, yeah, kids today are not doing any more media than they did in the 80s because I read it from a reputable source. We've got to be thinkers, not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. So the mind of Christ is critically thinking. By the way, that was a quote from the book Education. Have you read that book? It's not just for teachers. Read that book, especially young people. Read the book called The Life Work. That is required reading for every GYC attendee called The Life Work. It's in in the book called Education by Ellen G. White. It says, 
says, one of the things it says in that book in context of what we're looking at here, we want to be thinkers, not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. And I include myself in that. You want to be thinking and probing and analyzing and praying about everything you hear from every speaker. Speaking of being deceivable, by the way, I have, a, I have a heart for the little children, and this was an American Academy of Pediatrics statement that made me go, uh, hold on, wait a minute. It said, well-designed television programs such as Sesame Street, <laughs> okay, time out, they're saying that's a good one? Whatever things are true and noble and right and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things, right? This is a lot of nonsense for children, but it says these programs can improve cognitive and literacy and social outcomes for little children. But immediately the thinker says, wait a minute, improve versus what? So I click on the footnote, is the control group people who are watching no television at all and they're out in nature and doing better things? No, the control group is the general population who are watching SpongeBob and all sorts of super high stimulating television and, and video games. So Sesame Street has a little leg up on the competition within the realm of little children doing excessive media. So just be thinkers. When you read something like that from a very reputable organization, you've gotta always be questioning what it is that's being put out there. The World Health Organization, by the way, was a little more honest. They said, little children till the age of five, less screen time, the better. So like, if you can approach zero for children until age five, that would be awesome. Now, I wish I could do my whole session called The Disconnected Childhood. I decided to, you know, I have to, I have to amputate a lot from the Media Mind Seminar to get three sessions with you. The fourth session this afternoon will be Media on the Brain, mostly. Um, I left the one about the children out. If some of you are like in that realm of life with children and stuff, Get the Media Mind DVDs, go right to disc two and view that session. For the GYC, I'm leaving a lot of the little children stuff out, although it does matter to all of us because they are the future and they are the ones that we all want to see thrive. So I'll include a little bit about, about people of all ages. But this was interesting. Teens, nine hours a day. Get this. Parents, nearly eight hours per day. So they're only a notch under the teens. Parents spend twice as much time just watching Netflix than all quality time with their children combined. So we can't be like, okay, I'm gonna take the speck, you know, the teenage kids, the young people these days, and then the older people are doing almost as much entertainment and social media, eight hours, just under eight hours, versus just over nine hours. And so when we see for a survey from Common Sense Media found that 47% of parents worry their child is addicted to their mobile device, by comparison, only 32% of parents say, oh, I'm addicted myself. Oh, you know, Jesus said, the measure you use to others, it will be used to you, right? So we all have to look in the mirror and figure this thing out. What is God saying to me about my media use today, this weekend, in my stage and age in life? Because the average adult spends more time looking at screens than sleeping. The average American spends 65% of their waking hours consuming media. The average American spends 4.7 hours on their smartphone per day, checks their phones 80 to 150 times per day, and still somehow manages to watch four hours of television today, per day. Those numbers are not budging when we're just piling it on and on and on. So you might say, okay, whew, I'm safe. I'm well below those averages and those crazy stats. 
time out. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, it says not to measure ourselves by ourselves and compare ourselves among ourselves, that this is not wise to do that. So we want to measure ourselves with Jesus' standard for us in our lives. And when we're talking about Jesus' standard for us and how much time am I on my phone and how much time am I using screens for good things, for God's glory, that's going to be a health concern, mental health, and a lot of things enter into that. And that might be different for different people, the amount of time that we spend based upon our work or kind of classes we're taking and whatever. But I will say this emphatically, and this is going to be emphasized this afternoon in the media on the brain. When it comes to things that are worldly, when we're dealing with Philippians 4.8, what whatsoever things are pure, and noble and right and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. That's about the best description of the character of God that there is. We want to behold only that which is pure. The Bible says clearly, come apart from them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch no unclean thing. So in these first three sessions, we're not so much dealing with the worldliness of the entertainment industry. That'll be this afternoon. But I want to say it now so we don't get the wrong idea out of the gates here. If we're tempted to be doing worldly things, watching worldly things, playing violent video games and all of the things that, are, that Jesus wouldn't do, right? That are not biblical and pure and good and true. That are, that are principles of the enemy, principles of the one contrary to Christ named the devil and Satan. We want to, the Bible says, come apart and be separate and touch no unclean thing. Touch how many unclean things? Zero, like zero. So how many hours a day, you know, should I use this kind of media and that kind of media? Lots of questions we ask ourselves. When it comes to worldly media, the answer is zero, zero, zero. Now also, you might say, well, I'm not sure if I have a media problem or how's my loneliness factor or the other mental health things that I'll talk about in the next session. The best way to gauge where you're at with your media use and figure out, okay, am I on the path God wants me on? Well, you want to pray about it. And you also can do a trial, do a test. God says, test me in these things and don't see, see if I don't open the floodgates of blessing. My dad was an optometrist. People used to come into his office and they would say, oh, you know, I'm seeing fine. I'm seeing okay. I can see good. But then my dad would bring around down the instruments in front of the eyes and he'd say, okay, read that top line. And the patient would be able to read the top line just fine. Okay, now read the second line. Wait a minute. The second line, I'm supposed to be able to read that? Um, is that a G or a C or an O or a Q? Uh, doc, I can't read that line. Is that an F or a hashtag? I can't read that. And then he's like, okay, which one is clearer, one or two? Um, two, two, or three, um, two, two, or four. Uh, two is the clearest, and then he breaks it to you. One is your natural eyesight a little more blurry than two, which is your new glasses. You're going to see better. But I was seeing fine. I'm okay. Everybody thinks I'm good the way I am, right? It's New Year's. It's GYC time. In every area of our lives, we're evaluating, God, what's my next step? What do you want me to try? And if we all get the idea, no, I'm good. I'm in a rut. It's comfortable. I like the way I do life right now. God says, I want to stretch you. I want to grow you, and you'll benefit from it. You'll hear more about that later. But right now, speaking of the eyes, 35% increase in myopia since the advent of the smartphone. So literally, people are getting a little more blurred vision. That was just an analogy a moment ago. But 90% of 20-year-olds in East Asian countries, 
myopia, so much near work. And of course, this isn't a moral issue. This isn't a sin issue, but it is another physiological malady. When you read, is your computer making you blind? The article says it used to be an old wives tale that staring at a screen for long times or things close up to you at all times would, would increase your, your rates of myopia. And they say it's not an old wives tale anymore. It's absolutely the case. They have a new word for it, screen sightedness instead of nearsightedness because of a lot of eye maladies. And one of the things that we do when we're on screens, we're not blinking as well and as often. It reduces the blink rate. And so when I use screens, you see a lot of slides, right? A lot of screenshots. And I tried to do a lot of books and a lot of online things and balance that out. We'll do that in session three today. People love the book in the age of the app. But I've tried, excuse me, tried myself to enforce better blinking when I'm using screens myself for ministry. But here's a, speaking of uh, the, the, the kind of light that, that, you're, that is emitting upon your eyes is also having an impact. That has a major impact at night. Do you see this list of things on the screen? Heart disease, lung disease, kidney disease, da 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 Depression, obesity, diabetes, certain cancers. All of these maladies and problems actually are increased by one common factor. And there are many common factors, but one of them is Sleep deprivation increases the risk for all these things. Look at that light. Doesn't that look nice? The Bible says in Psalm 127, God giveth his beloved sleep. And some of you students are like, oh, I wish I yearned for the day, right? Um, or, or Proverbs 3, thou shalt lie down and thy sleep shall be sweet. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? Hopefully it doesn't sound too nice right now. Like, don't go to sleep on me right now. But... God created that, that firelight and that type of light for when we have evenings and we're getting ready for bed, it produces melatonin in the brain because the blue light is diminished. But when we're staring at a screen late at night, it suppresses melatonin in the brain and it actually tells the body, like, it's daytime. Like, wake up, don't get ready and restful for sleep. And so teen sleep deprivation is through the roof. Nine hours of sleep per night is what you're supposed to be getting when you're 18 years old. Under seven is the average. So six hours and change for the average 18 year old where we want nine ideally and the culprit of course let's listen to Dr. Larry Rosen he said in one study we found that most students use their smartphones right up to the minute when they close their eyes and attempted to fall asleep and this not just teens by the way adults are doing the same thing 87 percent of us going to bed with and waking up with our smartphones three quarters of students slept with their phones on or set to vibrate and close at hand often in hand sleeping with the phone in hand roughly half of them checked their phones in the middle of the night for reasons other than to check the time. Social media was the main culprit. There's a cool pair of glasses you can wear if you got LED lights in the house and the screens going on and everything. You can put blue blockers on the phone and get programs like that for the computer like Flux, but F.LUX. Anyway, those are some practical things. God wants us to have a mind that is energized. The media mind is tired. The mind of Christ is energized. And that's why you read in child guidance, as a rule, the labor of the day should not be prolonged into the evening. And this applies to families, but we can all apply this in our own station in life as well. Let parents devote the evenings to their families. Lay off care and perplexity with the labors of the day. Let the evenings be spent as happily as possible. I love this quote because somehow I've heard from some people in generations past and they're like, we used to hear the spirit of prophecy quoted and it was a negative thing. And it's like, wait a minute. God has given us through the gift of prophecy and through inspiration, 
I want you to be as happy as possible. So never get that weird, distorted perception of reading books like Education and Desire of Ages and Christ's Object Lessons. That's what I was just listening to. Speaking of using your phone in a positive way, right? I got my, my audio books right on there. and I love these books, right? And when you actually read them instead of just what people say about them, it's things like this. God wants you to be as happy as possible. And so it's counsel to parents not to be working, have fun with your family, form a home reading circle and other things. So there's a bunch of questions we can ask about our media use. What kinds of media, at what ages, on what types of devices, at what locations, for what purposes, at what times of the day, at what frequency of use, for what duration of use. I'm not going to give you like the prescription for all of this, but this one right here, at what times of the day, we can all start to work on our evening media use and it'll bring blessing. We'll get better sleep. Thou shalt lie down and your sleep shall be sweet, the Bible says. So think about that in your own life. By the way, people do ask me with these ones, like at what ages, at what times of the day, you know, Scott, give me your prescription for childhood media use. Okay, I will. You ready for it? Desire of Ages, page 72. The more quiet and simple the life of the child, the more free from artificial excitement and the more in harmony with nature, the more favorable it is to physical and mental vigor and to spiritual strength. Doesn't that sound nice? That sounds good for all of us, not just childhood. Are we a little overstimulated in this 21st century, high-tech, super-fast-paced media world? We are definitely, all of us, and it starts from an early age. This now exists. This is a real thing. I thought somebody was pulling my leg. This is satire. Check this out, Scott. I thought it was graphic image, you know, manipulation. That is a newborn baby. This is newborn to toddler Fisher Price iPad activity seat. I said, excuse me, even the American Academy of Pediatrics says children till age 18 months or 24 months should have zero media use. But they're now promoting that for the little ones. And the iPod. Yes, this exists. The iPod for iPad. Because nothing can involve only three-dimensional non-virtual things. We have to infuse the digital screen-based virtual into everything. Look at this one. You see what she's doing? You know, on one hand, that's kind of like adorable and cute and stuff, but also quite frightening and alarming to see. The baby does not know how pages and paper is different from the iPad because he's only used, she's only used the, 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 the screens, which is interesting because Steve Jobs, when he was interviewed before he died, you probably heard this. They asked, what do your kids think of the iPad? It's about to be released on store shelves. It's going to be a big thing. He goes, no, my kids have never used an iPad. They don't use the digital devices in our home. The interviewer, the journalist was like, what? I imagined the Jobs family would have touchscreen walls and everything is digital. Nope. Same thing with Bill Gates. His kids, when they were youths, max 45 minutes of internet use per day for educational and productive purposes. The current CEO of Apple was asked about social media. He doesn't have children. He says his nephew, though, I don't want him on social media at all. He says, zero social media for the young people in my life is what his preference is. And th those are pretty much the three biggest names, right? 
Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Tim Cook. This is a book called Irresistible by an author named Adam Alter. He interviewed several video game designers as part of his book, and as several of them confided in him and admitted that they do not play the most addictive video games that are being produced by the very industry that they work with. This is Alex Constantinople, chief executive at the Outcast Agency. That's a tech firm. And she's got little children in the home, zero screen time for her, for her little children, for her older children, max 30 minutes per day. And this is not just just the CEOs and the big people. You look at the, the mid-level engineers and, and everybody at these, at these tech firms out in Silicon Valley, there have been entire exposés and, and investigations done. How do they do life with their kids in their homes? And they're like, we've got contracts with our nannies that our three-year-old will not touch an iPhone or an iPad, and the nanny will not be on it either. And they're, they're very strict. They're the most strict people you will find on media use as a culture, as a community. There's, of course, exceptions, but the consensus in Silicon Valley is that screen use for education is way overrated and it's addictive and causing mental health harm, which we'll talk about continually today. But what's the most sought after school that their young people are sent to in Silicon Valley? It's called the Waldorf School of the Peninsula. And this Waldorf style of education in many ways resembles true education. Their kids are gardening and it's like back to the basics, number two pencils and paper and chalk and chalkboards. They do have some new age-ish, hippie-ish types of things going on too, but one thing they get right is they have zero media use for education until the young people are older, until middle school, in the case of Silicon Valley's Waldorf School of the Peninsula, the Seattle Waldorf School awaits till high school. So that you're thinking, okay, what do these people know that the rest of us don't know? Well, it's, it's open. It's, 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 it, there's research on all of this. We'll continue to explore it. But one thing these guys did, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, that the rest of us should catch from the Bible, and not to mention from the example even of secular people who can get this, is that both of them insisted on mealtimes in the home. They were like, we will have mealtimes together in our homes. Steve Jobs, Bill Gates both insisted on that. It reminds me of this sign that a restaurant put up on the door. We do not have Wi-Fi. Talk to each other. Pretend it's 1995. <laughs> yes, yes. On romantic dates, Penn State University did a study that the majority of people admit that when they are on a date, the, the phone usually interrupts their romantic time together. That is sad, right? I mean, you're, you're pulling out all the stops. You're spending the time, you're spending the money, and you got the thing sitting there interrupting. They said it's called technoference in the relationship. And, no surprise, higher rates of technoference correlated with lower relationship satisfaction. More on that in anti-social media. It happens in the home as well. Tension was increased, University of Michigan studies discovered, and they said the home atmosphere is contaminated. I love it when researchers just come out and say it. They're like, it's technoference. It's contaminating our relationships, causing tension in the home. So does God have the answer to this? Absolutely. This mealtime thing, for example, has been in the word of God all along. It says in Psalm 128, that the children will rise up like olive plants round about our tables. Our tables. Did you notice that? It doesn't say the mealtime, but it mentions the table that the children are raised at and, and growing like olive plants. At our mealtimes together, we're, we're practicing the health message, aren't we? We're practicing social courtesies and manners. We're hopefully having meaningful conversations during your mealtimes here at GYC. Talk about the messages you're hearing, the direction you're going in life. Make this meaningful, a time of having sharing a meal together. It says in Deuteronomy 6, in the home 
home, we are to talk about the word of God with our children as we rise up, as we lie down. There's morning and evening worship. As we walk by the way and as we sit in our house. There you have it. Sitting, not just that morning and evening worship, but sitting at the table. Second Timothy talks about an assault on the family in the last days, disobedient to parents, without natural affection. Jesus says in Luke 12, it'll be three against two and two against three in, the man, in, the, in a household, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own family. That's a tragic and sad sounding thing. But it's no surprise that the family and, and youth and childhood is under assault. It seems the enemy always reserves some specific, violent, vicious, diabolical attack on children at a key point in earth's history. You go back to Pharaoh when God was about to bring his people out of Egypt and he was about to bring them across the Red Sea and give them the Ten Commandments and into Canaan and establish a sanctuary message. And you have the Ten Commandments there, right? What did Pharaoh do right before that all was launched? Murder the baby boys in the Nile. Herod with Jesus first coming. This is like the most important times in human history, right? The giving of the law and the first coming of Jesus. Herod had the same edict. And then here we are in our day. And you might say unborn lives would apply here as well. And I praise God that the sixth commandment has been acknowledged by the remnant church of Bible prophecy just this year as applying to those precious infants in their mother's wombs. If you didn't catch that news, there is now an official statement by the Seventh-day Adventist church saying that the sixth commandment is, is applicable to life of all ages, including that most precious and vulnerable. But the spiritual attack is even more significant than the physical attack. Because Jesus said, don't fear the one who just kills the body, but the one who could kill the soul. I mean, that's a bigger deal, the soul than the body, right? So we're thinking about all of our souls and especially those vulnerable children who are being plugged into this media from an early age. But back to the rest of us. I, sh I told you this last night. You now have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. Eight seconds is the average human attention span in the industrialized world. The goldfish clocks in at nine seconds, now exceeding us as we have shrunk in this media age. So before I even tell you what's causing that, you know it's the fast-paced media, but I want to show you the answer to that one. God has the answer to all of this, right? And so nature exposure, as opposed to media exposure, increases attention span. Even just looking at fish in a fish tank, studies have shown watching fish in a fish tank increases your attention span. So I guess by beholding the fish, we will lengthen our attention span to that awesome nine seconds again. And hopefully we can exceed that and behold Christ and have it all right. But another, another advantage of attention span, one of the main advantages of it is creativity, thinking, being able to have conceive of an idea. And it takes an average of, they tell us 1,000 seconds is the average person's length of time to roll an idea over, really ponder something before you have the light bulb moment and you're like, yes, I've got it. A creative moment, problem solving, whatever. A thousand seconds, 15 to 20 minutes. And our attention span is how long? Eight seconds. We're never going to get to that thousand seconds because the average person, 77% of people admit that when nothing is immediately occupying their attention, they just grab their phone. Just going to check my phone. There's nothing that I needed to do on there, but I was going to go on there and do something, right? Because we couldn't just possibly have a quiet moment, right? Maybe to hear the voice of God. Maybe to think for ourselves. The media mind becomes dull. The mind of Christ, though, creative. We've been given a power 
from the creator to be small c creators. The power to think and to do. That's in the book Education as well. We've been given a power akin to that of the creator. The power to think and to do. Now I mentioned the cause of this shortening of our attention spans is the environment that we find ourselves in. I remember a brother of mine was diagnosed with ADD. This was in the late 80s, like the cutting edge of this. And I heard he's got a chemical, inherent chemical imbalance, and it's a genetic thing. And there's this ADD thing they're talking about now, which is today, of course, ADHD. But wait a minute, if it was genetic, then why did we just in 10 years have a 50% rise in ADHD cases in in the recent decade. Well, that can't be explained by genetic factors only. It's environmentally induced attention deficits that people are talking about. And not just the diagnosed disorder you have of attention deficit disorder, but all of us are having shortened attention spans because of the environment. A few examples. 3,000 children in a Singapore study were looked at over a three-year period of time to see what the correlation and causation between video game play and attention span would be. And they've always known that that lower attention span people on average are more drawn to video games. And so they'd always just go, it's just correlation. There's no causation. Time out. This study showed that it was a causal factor. It was bi-directional. It goes both ways. Lower attention span, people are on average more drawn to playing, and then playing reacts upon the attention span, further reducing attention span. By the way, whether it was a violent video game or not is only a minor factor in exacerbating. Video game play in general is reducing attention span. TV commercials keep shrinking. Look at this chart. In just a few years, years period of time, it's just happening more quickly and hitting us with the commercials, cajoling you, jarring you, snapping at you, jolting you out of whatever you know you otherwise might do with the heavy beats and the loud noises. And it, it's the intense stimulant effect to try to grab your attention and get it quickly. And it shortens our attention span. Two thirds of kids, by the way, are growing up in homes where the TV is on the majority of the time. That's a sad stat right there. And psychologists looking at children in their native environment in the living room, they notice that the children are pulled away by the screen as if it mesmerizes them. More on that this afternoon. And it's not like they're making a conscious choice to view it because we're, we're, we're designed to train upon movement and just the eyes go to that. I find myself as, you know, a grown adult, like, you know, I'm in an airport or whatever and I'm in a restaurant or whatever. The flashing screen is hard to discipline yourself to not. You find yourself glancing at it because it's designed to grab you, which is funny because the CNN article that I was picking on earlier also says, more often than not, television brings a sense of calm and even joy to the household. And I thought, was this written by a Comcast representative or something? Please, come on. A sense of calm? Now, I did walk into a house one time where they had a screen with a single image of a bubbling brook. And that was a nice, calm thing. That was really nice to walk into that house. You can use screens in a positive way. But I'll tell you, when the CNN article also said, hey, we all grew up with TV and we turned out fine. It's making an argument there with a number of fallacies embedded in it. First of all is, TV back then is different than today. So you're comparing apples and oranges. Also, fine compared to what? 
Did you get another test? Which one is clearer, right? I mean, I can't redo childhood and stuff. And God can redeem the time and transform and renew our minds so we don't need to regret and, and lament the past. He can take us forward with hope and with inspiration. But we just need, don't need to buy the nonsense of what they're putting out there. Speaking of, by the way, the pacing of the commercials, the songs are getting faster, too. The popular music songs through the streaming services, they're bringing the vocals in in five seconds on average. It used to be 25 seconds of instrumental prelude, and I'm talking in worldly music, which wasn't known for its attention span lengthening qualities, but now it's even more fast-paced. In five seconds, they're hitting you with the vocals, and there's going to be a hook right there in the intro, another hook in the verse, a, a hook in the chorus, a hook in the bridge, and it's going to be like commercials. Uh, it's going to be super addictive and, 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 and designed to shorten attention span even further. The average radio listener, by the way, changes the station every seven seconds, so they've always wanted to bring more more of those hook. A hook, by the way, is the part of the song that just gets in your head and you can't get it out, right? And I love beautiful music. I love sacred music. I'm a huge fan of God's design for music for us. And that's why when you see what the popular music industry has done to so-called music, I won't be dealing with that in great length this afternoon. I did talk in media on the brain, the word music. Do you know what muse means? You know what? I'm going to hold you in suspense on that for the afternoon. A, because I don't have time, and B, it'll fit in later better. But even social media use is shortening attention span. A study of 2,000 adults, people who spend less time on social media, were significantly better at attention span tests in one study that they did on that because it's, we're jumping around. It's more fast-paced. Be sure to come to the third session, People of the Book in the Age of the App, and we'll deal with that more, screens versus paper the troubling side effects of smartphones. This study showed that when you give a, a, a non-smartphone using person a smartphone for two weeks, I'm sorry, a non-ADD person, when they start using a smartphone for two weeks, you find attention span um, dropping and ADD symptoms appearing like inattention and hyperactivity because of the way that we're using the devices on average. The device is not evil, of course, it's a tool. But the media mind, the way we use this media today becomes distractible. But the mind of Christ is attentive. Now, does attention span matter? You might say, okay, from a spiritual perspective, what is the significance of that? The Bible says, take heed. This word heed appears in the King James 80 times in the Bible. For example, in Psalm 119, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? You want to have a purified life. How do we cleanse our way? By taking heed thereunto according to God's word. Listen to God. Pay attention to God. Pay attention to his word. Spiritual things require an attention span. Reading the Bible requires an attention span. Listening to sermons and messages requires an attention span. And also executive function where our prefrontal cortex pays attention also helps us do other things like regulate our emotions and impulses, exercise wise judgment and planning, have the fruit of the spirit, which is self-control. So our characters will be impacted. If we're shrinking our attention spans, we're reducing executive function and also will be struggling in these other areas in our lives. When we're lengthening our attention spans, we're enhancing our executive function in our frontal lobe and we will grow in these character and spiritual areas in our lives as well. But entertainment, television, and movies and video games are designed to target the limbic system. When you exercise more of that, you get more of that. And what is limbic system? 
some stuff. Well, a lot of it is fear, stress, lust, anxiety, irritability, impulsivity, uh, um, um, outbursts, and so on, aggression. And so I want less of that in my life. I want more of that frontal lobe. And the best thing for lengthening and strengthening that is here in the study of the Word of God, by the way. No other book is so potent to elevate the thoughts and give vigor to the faculties as the broad ennobling truths of the Bible. If God's word were studied as it should be, men would have a breadth of mind, a nobility of character, and a stability of purpose that is rarely seen in these times. Now, speaking of those outbursts and so on, they studied, do violent video, do video games make children more prone to violence? And the video game industry has been like, there's no connection Nonsense. Researchers conducted a thorough meta-analysis of 24 studies from locations around the world from 2010 to 2017 with more than 17,000 participants ages 9 to 19 years old. This is a massive study, a study of the studies. And what they found is children who play violent video games show an increased tendency toward physical aggressive behavior. It's not surprising that the Bible was right. (laughs) By beholding, we become changed. And a lot of it is just we're reducing executive function. So even playing not violent video games, reducing executive function is going to increase the tendency toward aggressive outbursts of whatever kind. It's not just violent acts. It's just our character in general. So the media mind is becoming more aggressive and prone even to violence. But the mind of Christ is self controlled. Now, God has the answer to this. I told you the attention span is lengthened by nature. You know what else? Dr. Dunkley in Reset Your Child's Brain points out many studies that green environments reduce aggressive acts. So there's a reduction of aggression to counter the violent video games. Get outside. Get outside and go for a hike or whatever you like doing out there. Increases attention span, as I said. Increases impulse control. Now, that's a big one. That's part of executive function in the frontal lobe. Impulse control. I remember hearing from the video game industry gamers are going to be the best drivers when they hit the roads because they've practiced like reaction time and three-dimensional reasoning and visual spatial reasoning. Well, it turns out the average, it reduces your, 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 your driving quality if you're a video gamer on average. And so more, more outbursts and more um, aggressive driving and more reckless driving that takes place and because the executive function has come down. So the media mind is more impulsive, whether in driving or in what we choose to eat or whatever in our lives, the mind of Christ more deliberate. Now I have some good news here. If these problems in the executive function are environmentally induced, well, guess what? Then we can reverse them, right? By environment, by improving our environment. And so I'm going to share with you as we close this session, Dr. Victoria Dunkley has treated hundreds of children with previously diagnosed disorders. And a lot of them have to do with executive function and other things as well. I mean, you name the disorder that's named in psychiatric circles today, she gets the children and adolescents in her office with the toughest cases, the ones who are actually diagnosed with ADHD and disruptive mood dysregulation disorder depression, anxiety, bipolar, all of it. And a lot of people are just struggling with sad feelings or attention spans or regulating our emotions in a way that we're not diagnosed. We're subclinical, they would call that. We're all struggling in areas in our lives. And she takes these kids and she puts them on a prescription that would blow you away. It's not a chemical pharmaceutical solution, so-called, to these issues. It's an actual long-term healing. She's not allowed to say healing. 
healing, and I do not intend to diagnose, treat, or heal any disorders, cure any disorders, and consult your physician before doing anything in life. Um, her prescription is a 100% media abstinence for three weeks. Did you get that? These young people, they come in, and they're like, okay, we're going to try something different. And she says, you really ready for it? We're going all out. 100% media abstinence for three weeks. Zero screen time for three weeks for these young people. And these are the ones who are struggling the most, remember. The results are astonishing. 80% of them have the majority of their symptoms disappear. Just removing screen time for three weeks. That's really good news, isn't it? If we will accept it. A lot of people, <laughs> I don't think I could do that. Well, you want, do you want to be healed? 50% of them have all their symptoms disappear, all of them. So half of her patients are totally cured. Screen time is a contributing factor to virtually all of the children she has treated. She says, I began prescribing video game restriction especially with startling results. I observed how the vast majority of children exhibited certain symptoms surrounding gameplay, symptoms strikingly similar to amphetamine exposure. Be here for the next session, digital pharmakia. The word pharmakia is Greek for drug use or sorcery. She says these symptoms resolved in the days or weeks of completely abstaining from the media use and the children's development and the youth, the adolescence development would grow by leaps and bounds when screens were most restricted. So the frontal lobe is enhanced. The, the executive function, prefrontal cortex is developing. The media mind is not well, but the mind of Christ is. What's the word? Yes. May the mind of Christ our Savior live in us from day to day. By his power controlling all I do and say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And you know, that mind of Christ is where we are transformed and renewed. That's literal, physiological, neurological language in Romans 12, verse 2. We, our brain circuits can be rewired and we can experience a whole different way of being human and being redeemed in Christ on the spiritual and on the mental health and on the social and on everything. So let's pray for that as we close this and take a break and then return at, 9, at 10, 1045. And let's ask God to lead us in, our, in the path he has for each one of us. Father, we thank you so much for the information that is so eye-opening. But Lord, we want more than information. We want transformation. Please help us to make choices and decisions to, to try something different as you invite us to do, to test you in these things and see if we don't see the floodgates of blessing open that you want us to be as happy as possible, as close to Jesus as possible, as, as, as socially fulfilled and enjoying nature and just all of the vast wonder that, it, that you've created in this world for us to enjoy and appreciate. And most of all, that we would live with a purpose, that we wouldn't live to seek the next stimulant effect and entertainment and pleasure seeking, but that we would seek Jesus, be, be Jesus seekers, not pleasures seekers and help us in our in our choices as we pursue you and seek your will and heed and pay attention to your voice we pray these things in jesus name amen this message was recorded at the gyc conference by many or by few in louisville kentucky gyc a supporting ministry of the seventh-day adventist church seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for christ to download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.